we're in uh, the book of Philemon tonight, and uh, we're going to start out by reading the first 10 verses, and then we'll work our way through the remainder of the book. So you can stand with me tonight if you found that for the reading of God's Word. The book of Philemon, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. If you've got it, say amen. Amen. And this is what it says. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in prayer, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have a great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Look at verse 9. First part of that says, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. And verse 10 says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. I've titled the message tonight, Standing Up for a Man in Need. Standing Up for a Man in Need. You may be seated. Now, as I prayed about what the Lord might have me to preach tonight, it seemed to be a natural thing to flow from the book of Colossians into the book of Philemon. Uh, as you know, we just finished the book of Colossians, and everywhere that I looked, I kept coming back to Philemon. And so I figured I better just go back to Philemon and stay there, and, and that would be the message tonight. Um, it, it flows right together, actually, because um, they go hand in hand, really, because they literally went hand in hand. Both letters went to Colossae at the same time. Uh, the book of uh, Colossians, as well as this book of Philemon. Colossians was addressed to the church as a whole. Philemon is more of a personal letter. So in this short letter, it's really a wonderful story. And those of you that have read it know it is really quite a fascinating, wonderful story. It tells the story of grace and mercy and love. Really, it does. It tells a story about a man that's in need. A man that's at the bottom, a man without hope, someone that's overlooked by others, someone that was a fugitive, by the way, in bondage to his past, and he was on the run, but he's found, and he's freed, and he's forgiven in Christ. And the story tells us of forgiveness, really. This, this passage tells us of that. And it shows us the power of God to make all things new. Aren't you glad that God can make all things new? So it's a real story about a real man named Onesimus who met a real God who moved mightily in his life. Isn't that a wonderful thing when you think about that? So before I get uh, very far ahead, let me give you a little bit of background on it. And some of you will say, well, this sounds familiar because I've heard some of this in our study with Colossians. But for the sake of one that maybe didn't hear that, um, 
it's good to lay a little bit of a groundwork. I won't stay here too long in this, but I just want to give you a little bit of the information about the book of Philemon. Uh, now, of course, it was written between 60 and 62 AD. Um, this is a personal letter, like I said, to this man, Philemon. Uh, it's also addressed, if you noticed in our reading, to Aphia and Archippus and to the church in his house. That's in verses 1 and 2. Uh, you might be wondering who those people are. Aphia, uh, most people believe, is actually Philemon's wife. And in the context of the passage here, it makes a lot of sense that he's addressing personally Philemon and also Aphia, who is his wife, more than likely, and Archippus, who is most likely his son. You'll remember Archippus from Colossians, the last part. That was the guy that Paul said, and make sure you tell Archippus to fulfill his ministry that he's been received, that he's received in the Lord. And a lot of people believe that he was uh, filling in for Epaphras, the pastor of Colossian, of the Colossian church, in his absence. So many people believe that Archippus was actually fulfilling that role in the meantime. So we see that this letter is addressed to Philemon primarily, but also to his household, to his wife, to his son, and to the church there. Uh, as you know, this is one of four prison epistles, as they'll be referred to. Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are the other, and Philemon. Don't worry, it won't all be like this. We'll get to the meat of it here in just a minute. I need to give a little bit of background so you understand. So Philemon was a citizen of Colossae. Uh, that was uh, where he lived. More than likely, he was a wealthy man because we see that he has a church in his house. He has a house big enough to have a church meeting in it. So that ought to tell you something. And not only that, but he also has a slave and it's a man by the name of Onesimus, which is the subject of the letter that we're going to talk about tonight. So we see that he's probably a wealthy man. He has a large house, and also he has at least one slave that we know of. So he's actively connected to the church in Colossae. In fact, they're meeting in his home, and so he's probably a prominent person within the city, the surrounding area, uh, and amongst the people there. Now, again, this is also important to note. As you recall, Ephesians is about 70, or Ephesus rather, is about 75 to 120 miles away from Colossae. And Paul, the apostle, had set up a place of ministry there over in Acts chapter 19, if you recall. For two years, he preached in the school of Tyrannus. You remember that he was preaching there. And this would be about 10 years prior to the date of this letter, uh, if my understanding is correct in that. So, what was happening during that time, because the Bible says in Acts 19.10, you don't have to go there, but it says, all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So people were coming to the school of Tyrannus, hearing the gospel being preached, hearing the word of God as Paul is preaching it, and then people were going from there, going back home, and they were telling others about what Christ had done in their life, and so the gospel was being spread that way throughout all of Asia. Now, why does that matter is because there's two people that we believe uh, is most likely came there during that time and was saved. One of them would be Philemon and Epaphras. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on Epaphras, but Philemon was likely one of those people who was saved during that time in Ephesus. Uh, according to verse 19 of Philemon, Paul indicates that Philemon was likely 
uh, one of his very own, the product of his personal ministry. Philemon was one of Paul's converts. Well, we know from the book of Colossians that Paul had never been to Colossae. He had never been there. He had simply heard about that church. Chapter 2 of Colossians, if you remember, says that they never even seen his face. So we can infer from that if Philemon is, in fact, one of Paul's personal converts, and he was saved under Paul's direct ministry, but Paul had never been to his hometown, then we can infer that probably Philemon came and heard Paul preaching at the school of Tyrannus. Does that make sense? I think that makes a lot of sense to me. So one of the other people that also did that was Epaphras, and we learned that Epaphras also went back home, and he was probably the founder of the church in Colossae and was the pastor there. So we see those two guys, really fruitful ministry there Paul was doing in Acts 19. When you see, when you consider all that happened after that, those two years that Paul was preaching there. And so now we come to the, the place um, where we have a little bit of the background um, of this letter. And, and just I, I want to note again that, that the church in that day met in homes. And, and one of the places in Colossae they were meeting was in Philemon's home. And so the subject of this letter is going to be Onesimus. He's the man, he's the, the slave that ran away from his master, Philemon. And now he's been saved in Rome with Paul. He's met up with Paul somehow. He's been saved. And now Paul is going to send him back home to Colossae. So Paul is going to send Onesimus back home. But with him, he's going to send this letter that we just started reading. And he's going to stand up for Onesimus uh, as a new brother in Christ. And so he's going to make a, a gracious appeal to Philemon, who is his own son in the faith, we know. He's going to make a gracious appeal to Philemon and say, I'm sending someone back to you, and I want you to receive him. So really, that's kind of the gist of this letter, but in it we're going to see a powerful demonstration of the work of Christ in us in a work where uh, the righteousness of Christ is imparted to us and forgiveness. It's going to be what is known as imputation. We're going to see that uh, in this book uh, as represented in the life of Onesimus. Now, uh, just by way of... Um, just by the way, I just want to make a note here as we get into it, because a lot of people may get hung up on this idea we have a slave and a master here. Some people might get hung up on the idea of slavery. Let me just make a note about that. And of course, we all know slavery is a horrible crime against humanity. It's wrong. Uh, it shouldn't be done. Unfortunately, it still happens in some places in the world. And the Bible, it actually goes against the very message of the Bible, which is redemption. Christ Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. We're, we were under the bondage of sin and death, and Jesus come to set us free. That's the message of the Bible. And you might wonder, well, why didn't Paul just come right out and preach against slavery and that day. The Roman Empire had a massive number of slaves. Some people say as many as 60 million could be the higher number of slaves in that day. And you wonder, well, why didn't Paul just come right out and say uh, and preach against the evils of his day? Why didn't he come right out and say those things? Well, you got to remember that uh, 
Christianity was a very small nucleus at that point. And if Paul went out and started preaching against the evils of that day, then the message of the gospel would be blended with a social message and it would have been confused as just a social movement. And Rome, when they found out about it, they would come in and very violently squash the revolt. And it would be taken care of like that. So what does Paul do? He recognizes the fact that the problem is always with the heart of man. The heart of man is wicked, deceitfully wicked, desperately wicked, who can know it. And so Paul will go right to the heart of the masters. He goes right to the heart of the slave because when you change the heart, you change the man. When Christ comes in and changes the heart, what does he do? He makes you a new person. And so Paul talks about the proper treatment between slaves and masters. He talks about, uh, he talks about how we all have a master in heaven. We're all on level ground and anybody that thinks they're prominent in this world needs to think again because they're going to answer to someone who's much higher than them in the world to come. And so this is a groundwork that's laid and you'll find that uh, the groundwork that Paul lays in changing hearts one heart at a time is the groundwork that was necessary to slowly dismantle that over time. You'll find the abolitionists later on in the later centuries, what was the moral catalyst that stirred them to abolish slavery even in the more recent years? It was the Bible teaching them that your slave is your brother. We're to receive our brother as equals in Christ. All men are created equal in the eyes of God. You remember that it was Paul that said in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Today the message is still the same, by the way, a political movement, a political leader will never make the change in the nation. It's going to take hearts being changed with the power of the gospel. And that's why Paul preached Christ crucified. He preached the power of the gospel, which is able to change the heart and bring the true change that's needed in the world. Amen. So we're going to look at this letter. Uh, and as we get into it, we know that Onesimus is Philemon's runaway slave. But now we're gonna find out he's more than that. He's a brother in Christ. Onesimus is a brother in Christ. And he's going to speak to the heart of these, these two really. Paul is going to speak to Onesimus. He's also speaking to Philemon. So let's look at verses one through three. This is Paul's greeting. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the first statement that he makes is Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now you might say, well, Paul was a prisoner of Rome. Well, Paul would beg to differ. Paul says, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Why would he say that? Well, because he recognized that God was working his purpose in him wherever he was. If he was in a Roman prison, or if he was out on the street preaching the gospel, if he was in the school of Tyrannus, Paul knew that, you know what? Jesus Christ is Lord, and I am a prisoner in this cell, not of Rome, even though they think that I am, but I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel. And something else to be noted about this introduction 
section is that he doesn't use his credentials as an apostle. Normally, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, something to that effect. But in this, he doesn't. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And the reason being is that this is a personal letter. This is something that he's writing to a friend, to a brother in Christ, a personal letter to someone who knows who he is, who knows uh, what his credentials are. Paul's not trying to defend something or trying to uh, prove something to him. This is his brother. He's, he's writing a gentle letter to his brother about uh, his friend Onesimus. So he doesn't come out and say, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. He just says, Paul a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's writing to his friend. And he says, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved fellow laborer. And so I, I want you to notice that, and I've said it already, that the, the letter is primarily addressed to Philemon, but he's also addressing it to his household and to the church in his house. Why is that necessary? Because his household and the church in his house is gonna know what went on with Philemon and Onesimus. So naturally, everybody that's involved, he wants to make sure that everybody knows what's going on here. And it's also a level of accountability to Philemon. I'm sending you this letter. By the way, read it to your household. Read it to the church in your house. So he's addressing it to him. Now, look at verse 3. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So really, this is just a warm, friendly greeting. It's just a warm, friendly greeting. He's saying, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, grace to you, to your family, to everybody in your house. Uh, it's just a friendly greeting. So now we're gonna go a little bit further. I want you to notice that Paul is going to offer a, a prayer of thanksgiving and words of affirmation and encouragement to Philemon. Um, Paul is going to point out this, that Philemon was a man with a good reputation. Philemon was a, a man with a good reputation. So he's gonna thank God for a transformed life. Look at verses four and five. He says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. Philemon was on Paul's prayer list. He was on Paul's prayer list. He said, I make mention of you often, Philemon. I want you to know, Philemon, uh, that I'm praying for you. You're my friend, Philemon. I want you to know that I'm praying for you often, and I'm thankful to hear how God's grace is working in you. I'm thankful to hear how God is moving in your life and doing wonderful things in your life. And your life shows it, Philemon. He's saying, uh, you're a man of good reputation, and I'm hearing about it. Look again at verse five. He says, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and towards all his saints. So basically, Paul is, is easing into this letter and he's saying, uh, Philemon, uh, your life is a testimony. You've got a good testimony, Philemon. I'm hearing about it. I'm hearing about your love and your faith uh, towards Jesus Christ and not just towards Jesus, but you're expressing it also in your brothers and sisters. He's saying, you've got a good reputation and you're extending that love to others. He said, I'm hearing good things about you, Philemon. See, he's wanting to, uh, he's wanting to encourage him. and He's not flattering him. Uh, you might think as we get further in the letter that maybe Paul's flat. He's not flattering him. He's just saying the truth. He's being, he's being honest affirmation and encouragement with his friend Philemon. So now Paul is going to pray for further growth in Christ. Look at verse 6. 
it says that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. That's one of those sentences where Paul likes to put a whole bunch of stuff together, isn't it? He's good at that. It says a whole lot in a little bit of space. Uh, Basically, he's saying, uh, Paul is saying, I'm praying, Philemon, that you're going to continue to grow in the full understanding of every good thing that you have in Christ. He said, I want you to continue. You're a man of good reputation. I want you to continue to grow in these things. I want you to continue to have a better understanding of Christ. I want you to continue to understand those things and and everything that that means to you in your life, Philemon. I want that uh, to continue to happen in your life. And he's saying the result of that is going to be that the communication of your faith, that is the fellowship and sharing of your faith, with your brothers and sisters, it's going to become more effectual or powerful. He's saying, so uh, Philemon, I want you to continue to grow in grace. I want you to continue to learn about the things of Christ, which I already see that you do know. And as you do, there's going to be an evidence of that, your, your sharing of your faith, your fellowship, your works of love, your charity towards others, is going to become more and more powerful and effective. He's saying, that's what I'm praying for you, Philemon. And I can already see that God's doing that in your life, Philemon. See, he had a testimony is what Paul's getting at. Paul is saying, Philemon, you have a testimony, and and I've heard about it. He's saying, Philemon, God is working in you, and it is evident in your life. You know, when God is working in somebody, the fruit of that is evident in their life. There will be fruit. If, If God's not working in someone, you can see the fruits of the flesh because they're gonna live like the devil. But if the Holy Spirit is living inside of someone, there's going to be a testimony, there's going to be an outflow, and there's gonna be evidence of what's going on inside. And, and Paul was saying, Philemon, I see the evidence of what's going on inside. You've got a good report. You're a good testimony. Brother, I'm proud of you, and I am praying for you. He said, he said you're sharing your faith with others. You're learning more about Christ, and it's becoming more and more powerful, more and more wonderful, and I am, he said, I am uh, blessed by that, and I want you to to continue to grow in those things. See, Philemon was a great blessing to the people around him. I believe he truly was a great blessing to the people around him. And in opening his house even to a church in that day, um, that, that was probably not a small thing considering the environment that they lived in. Now, not only that, he's going to encourage Philemon further. Uh, look at verse seven. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by the brother. Now, bowels of the saints, you're like, what are you talking about? That's a strange word, a strange way to say it these days. He's saying the heart. He's saying the very depths of your emotions, the very, the very depths of your soul. Have you ever laughed so hard? Have you ever laughed so hard that you grabbed your side because it hurt? I mean, you're just laughing. You don't grab your head and, and you know, if you're laughing, you're not gra- you grab 
what do you do? You grab the depths, uh, you know, you're, you're down here, you know, you're laughing so hard. And that's what he's saying, the very depths of your emotion. That's how in that day they looked at it. This is the very depths, the heart of somebody, the very depths of your heart. That's what he's talking about when he says there. He says, uh, Paul, uh, I want you to be encouraged because the work you're doing is making a difference in the lives of people around you. He's saying, I, I'm hearing how you love Jesus and how you love others and you're refreshing them. He says, uh, Philemon, you're bringing us joy. Philemon, you are comforting us here in this prison over in Rome. Philemon, you are doing wonderful things. You're comforting us by the way that you're treating God's people, by the way that you love God's people. You're ministering in the most powerful way to the very depths of their heart and it's a comfort to us and to God's people. Philemon, you're doing a great work there. Can you see how Paul is ministering to him? He's encouraging him. Now Philemon has to be wondering to a certain extent, why am I getting this letter where Paul's saying all these wonderful, why did I get a personal letter from Paul, the apostle, my old friend, I haven't heard from him in a while. But he's got a letter and so Paul is encouraging him. He's saying the love of Christ in you is blessing others. Philemon, you're bringing me joy because you're refreshing others by your love for Christ. He's saying, Philemon, we love that you're a man of love and it's blessing us, brother. Did you catch that what he said in verse seven? He said, the bowels of the saints are refreshed by the brother. He's, he's making an appeal. He's, he's easing into something because he, he's got something that he needs to talk to Philemon about. So he's easing into this. And he's, he's not flattering, but he's saying real uh, encouraging things. I'm praying for you. I do pray for you. I love you, brother. You're doing wonderful things, brother. You are a, a good friend, brother. Brother. <laughs> Look at verse 8 and 9. See, Paul is going to intercede for Onesimus. Paul is going to plead for Philemon to act in accordance with his reputation. So first of all, Paul establishes, uh, Philemon, you have a wonderful reputation. And by the way, since you do, uh, I have something I need to talk to you about. And, and I want you to live up to the reputation that I know you do have, by the way. Uh, and so he's easing into this. And so Paul does something interesting here. He chooses to make a plea instead of a command. He's going to make a plea instead of a command. Look at verses eight and nine. He says, wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee or command you that which is convenient or uh, proper or, um, but he says, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. Being such a one as Paul the aged, now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So, Paul doesn't, doesn't come out and assert his apostolic authority. He doesn't say, I am Paul the apostle and you had better do what I tell you to do, brother. No, he makes an appeal. He doesn't even say his credentials at the start of this letter. He just says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And, and so he makes, he's going to make an appeal to him. He's not going to command him. I mean, as an apostle of Jesus Christ with the care of all the churches and having been given that kind of authority, Paul could have commanded and said, this is the right thing to do. Philemon, you need to do this. I'm commanding you. But no, he says, this is my brother in Christ. This is one of my own children in the faith, so to speak. 
And so rather than command him, because I know he's a man of love, because I know that he loves Christ and he wants to do the right thing, I'm going to make an appeal to him on the basis of love and as a brother in Christ. I'm going to come down to the same level, though we are on the same level. But he said, I'm not going to assert the office that I have as an apostle. I'm coming down as brother to brother and say, we have another brother that I would like for you to be very kind to. That's what Paul is going to do, and so he's easing into it. He's going to make his appeal on the basis of three things. Maybe you caught him in these verses. Number one, for love's sake. Number two, as Paul the aged. And number three, as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm appealing to you, Philemon. I have something I need to ask you about. I have something I need to talk to you about. I want you to live up to the, to the uh, character that I know you possess and, and to the reputation that I know that you have. And he says, for love's sake, Philemon, because you're a man of love, I know you're a man of love, Philemon. I know you are, and for the sake of love, I have a favor to ask of you, Philemon. I have a favor. Uh, what do you say, brother? After all, I'm an old man now. Do you catch that? Look at, look, at, uh, look at verse 9, about halfway through it. Being such a one as Paul the aged. Philemon, I'm an old man now. At the time, Paul was about 60 years old, they, they're uh, assuming, about 60 years old. But he was way older than that because of the life that he had been living, really. I mean, he had been through a lot. He had been through a lot of stuff, and it took a toll on his body. So no doubt, when he said Paul the aged, he probably looked every bit of whatever age he told you. Plus some, because of the life that he lived. So he said, Philemon, on the, on the basis of love, and I'm an old man now, you know, I've, I've had a, a long life, I've been through a lot of things, and, and not only that, as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, I, you know, um, I can't come to where you are, after all, I'm, I'm in the bonds uh, here in jail for the sake of the gospel, I can't come to where you are, Philemon, but for love's sake, as, as an old brother and fellow servant in Christ, I got a favor to ask of you, Philemon. Can you see how he's really easing into this? Paul is, is really, he's just kind of slowly easing into it. He's not flattering him. He's not doing anything like that, but he's making an appeal on the basis of love. He's going to appeal on the basis of love, so he wants to stir up the emotions. This is his friend. He wants to stir these things up and make this appeal on the basis of love. And now Paul reveals the subject of the letter. Verse 10. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Now, I understand that in the original Greek of this, the uh, name Onesimus appears at the end of the sentence. And that's probably on purpose. Because Paul is easing into this. He's obviously easing into it. And so it might have read something like this. I beseech thee for my son, whom I have begotten in my bonds, Onesimus. Onesimus? Can you imagine Philemon reading this letter? Onesimus? You mean my runaway slave that robbed me and took off to who knows where? That, that, that's the guy you're talking about? 
Could you see, could you see Philemon reading this letter? You have to imagine that there's probably a certain amount of emotion that was attached to that name. Uh, it, have you ever had somebody that's just really done you wrong? Maybe they stole from uh, something from you or they just, they really just, they really just uh, did something terrible to you. And when somebody mentioned their name for a while, ooh, it was like nails on a chalkboard, wasn't it? This, ah, oh, that guy, Onesimus, really? That's all the nice things you said, and then here we are. Onesimus, is, that's what you want to talk to me about? But Paul says, I beseech thee for my son, whom I have begotten in my bonds, Onesimus. And so we don't know uh, exactly what happened here. Evidently, Onesimus wronged him somehow. Uh, maybe he robbed from him, and he took off uh, to Rome. And then we don't know how he come in contact with Paul, but Paul was in prison at Rome. And we don't know how they got together, but, but somehow, by the grace of God, through God's uh, hand working in this, somehow they come together, and Paul leads Onesimus, this runaway slave, to the Lord. Right there in Rome, Paul leads him to the Lord. And because of that, Paul is able to say, my son Onesimus. He said, this is one of my children in the faith, so to speak. I've led this man to the Lord. This is, this is my son Onesimus. So Paul is pleading for his son in the faith to Philemon. So it's interesting when you really you start seeing there's a lot of dynamics going on here. And Paul is very carefully and gracefully wording this letter and addressing and making his plea to his brother there in Colossae. Look at verse 11. He says, in which in times past to thee was unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Now, Paul was making a joke here. I don't know whether... Philemon thought it was funny or not. But the name Onesimus means profitable. It means profitable. And so Paul was saying, I know profitable was not profitable to you in the past, but now profitable is going to live up to his name. Paul is saying there's something different about Onesimus now. Profitable who ran off and robbed from you or did whatever he did to you and stole, he stole from you and he ran off and he wasn't profitable to you back then, but now he is. He says, uh, Onesimus has become a Christian. Onesimus has become saved. He is now a different man. And now perhaps Onesimus is there while Paul is in jail and Onesimus is ministering to Paul in his needs, whatever he needs, helping him out, blessing him, being an encouragement to him. And Paul says, well, he sure is profitable to me. He sure is being a blessing to me. And maybe he says, by the way, think about it like this, Philemon. He says, uh, you love me and now Onesimus is ministering to my needs. So now, Onesimus is not only profitable to me, but to you. You want my needs met? Onesimus is meeting my needs. So now, not only is he profitable to me, but he's actually being profitable to you. He's doing something you want him to do, isn't he? Isn't that amazing how Paul is, is bringing this out? So look at verse 12. He says, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. That is my own bowels, or that is my own heart. Paul is pleading with Philemon. He says, I'm sending my son home to you. 
He says, I'm sending my son in the faith home to you. I'm sending you my, my heart. I'm sending you my heart, Philemon. Onesimus, I'm sending him to you. I know he's messed up in the past. I know that he's done wrong. I, I know that he's done these things, but he's a different man now. And he says, so I, I appeal to you on the grounds of love, brother, because you're a man of love, because you're a man of the Lord. I appeal to you on the basis of, of love. I'm, I'm an old man, Philemon. I'm an old man. Could you please just, uh, uh, could you please just honor this wish? You, this is my son and your brother. He's been born again. I'm sending my heart to you could you please uh maybe do me a favor here Philemon isn't that amazing are you with me so Paul in the process of this discovers something though about Onesimus Onesimus had to go home so we're talking about this communication between Philemon and, and Paul but now let's take a break and just for a moment let's look at Onesimus side of things because Onesimus had to go home he did. Paul was going to send him home. Now, uh, the reason being is that Onesimus had some unfinished business to deal with. He had some unfinished business. See, Onesimus was a new man. He's been born again. But Paul discovered that this new convert had some unfinished business that he was going to have to deal with. Onesimus was a runaway slave. He was a fugitive. He had broken Roman law. He had done wrong. He wronged his master. Perhaps he robbed from his master. Uh, and perhaps when Paul and Onesimus are having this conversation, it might have come as a surprise to him when uh, maybe Paul said, well, who is the, your master that you ran away from? And he says, a guy named Philemon over in Colossae. And Paul says, oh, Philemon in Colossae? I know that guy. And Onesimus is probably thinking, how on earth do you know that guy? This is 1,300 miles away from here. It's a small world. But Paul says, I know that guy. He's one of mine. He was saved under my ministry. But that, that means maybe we need to uh, do some reconciliation here, Onesimus. Maybe we need to resolve some issues. See, uh, I, now I see that you've been saved and you've been, you've been transformed, but you have some unfinished business you've got to deal with, Onesimus. You've got to go home. Onesimus had to face his past. There's a difference between facing your past and wallowing in your past. When your past has been forgiven, leave it where it lies and forget it and press on. But from time to time, the Lord may call you to reconcile a difference of something in your past. As a believer, God may bring something back and say, you know what? This happened years ago, but you're a believer. Maybe they're a believer now. For the sake of your testimony, you need to go back and resolve some unfinished business. And when Paul learned about this, he said, Onesimus, you've got something that you need to do. You've got some, un you've got some unfinished business. You've got an ugly past. And if it's left unresolved, it's going to hinder you the rest of your life. You, how are you going to move forward in the things of God? How are you going to enjoy your new life that you have in Christ as long as this is hanging over your head? Anesimus, you've got to go back and deal with this. Can you see that? 
Paul is, is talking to Onesimus. He's saying, you've got to go back. You're a fugitive. And Paul is saying, I want you, Onesimus, my son, to be totally free. Totally free, clear conscious, where you can move on and you can enjoy the blessings of God. You can enjoy the things of God. See, the reality of Onesimus present didn't remove his responsibility uh, to reconcile the past. Let me say that again. The, the reality of Onesimus present did not remove his responsibility to reconcile the past. Onesimus had to make things right. And Paul was saying, for your sake, so you can enjoy freedom for real, you're going to have to do this. Now, Onesimus probably said, Paul, are you kidding me? Do you have any idea what that means in Rome? You have any idea what that means, the consequences that I'm going to face under, under Roman law? You know, the, the slaves, they don't have any right, and their masters can kill them at any point, and it doesn't matter, and they don't face any kind of legal ramifications for it. If they just decide they don't like you, they just kill you. You don't have any idea what you're asking me to do to go back and, and to face this? At the very least, they're going to take a, a, a metal iron that's in the shape of, a, of an F, and they're going to uh, heat it up in the fire, and they're going to smash it against my forehead and brand me down to my skull with the letter F that says that I'm a fugitive. That's at the very least. Paul, do you have any idea what you're asking me to do? And Paul says, I, I understand. I understand what I'm asking you to do, but I love you, Onesimus. And I know that God has wonderful things for you, Onesimus. And I know that if you're ever going to be free, you're going to have to settle some old accounts. If you're ever going to enjoy the blessings of your new life, Onesimus, you have to go home and settle some old accounts. But let me tell you what. I happen to know the man you have to settle the account with. And you're not going to go alone, Onesimus. I'm going to send a letter with you. You're not going to go alone, Onesimus. Yeah, it's a scary thing to do, but let me tell you, you're not going to go by yourself because I'm going to go with you in the form of a letter that's going to say everything you need it to say. Onesimus, trust me on this. It's got to be done. Let me say this. If God asks you to make things right, he'll also go before you and make things ready. If God asks you to go and make things right, he'll go before you and make things ready. I think of Moses when he fled to the backside of the wilderness after he, hid, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand, and for 40 years he's back there. And then God decides that you're going back to Egypt, Moses. You're going to lead my people out of bondage. One of the things that he said when Moses was get ready, getting ready to go back, he said, all of those that sought your life are dead. And in that statement, God was saying, Moses, the thing that you've been scared of all these years, 40 years, hiding in the desert, every time you hear a chariot wheel, are they coming to kill me for revenge? God says to Moses, everyone that sought your life is dead. Moses, I went before you to make things ready so you can make things right. When Jesus came before we ever existed, what did he do when he went to the cross? He came before us to make things ready so when the day comes, we can make things right with God. That's what he's saying. 
He's going before us. So if God asks you to make things right, he'll go before you and make things ready. And so that letter was going before. I don't know who delivered. Per- I, I used to kind of think that Onesimus handed it to him, and he may have, but perhaps a letter showed up and then with Tychicus, because you know he went with Onesimus, perhaps he handed the letter and Philemon got a head start and then Onesimus came. I don't know exactly how that went, but I know that God will make things ready when he asks you to make things right. And Paul says, I'm going to stand up for you, Onesimus. So Paul makes a personal plea for Onesimus. Look again at verses 10 through 12. He says, I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus, whom I begotten in my bonds, which in times past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him. That is my own bowels. Can you hear the heart of Paul? He's saying, my son is coming to you. Philemon, my son, whom I love, read my letter, read what I've written about him. My son is coming to you. He says, Philemon, receive him. This is my very heart. I appeal to you on the basis of love. I appeal to you, brother. This is your brother coming to you. Please receive him, Philemon. Paul is standing up for a man in need, isn't he? Standing up for a man in need. Look at verse 13 and 14. Paul says, Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might minister unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. Paul was saying, Onesimus has been an incredible blessing to me here, and he's been ministering to me, and I would much rather keep him here with me Philemon, I want him here with me because he's really blessing me, but that wouldn't be right. So he says, I wouldn't do that without your permission, so I'm sending him home to you. But if of your own free will, you'd like to send him back here, well, that sure would be all right with me. He sure has been a blessing to me, so I won't, I won't ask you to do it, but if, uh, if you wanted to send him back to serve me on your behalf... Well, that would be all right with me. Can you see Paul is, he's just, he's leaving it in the, in the court of Philemon, but he's making a, an excellent case saying, Philemon, this is your brother and I'm pleading for him. And so then Paul mentions that God is working in all of this. God is working in all of this. Verses 15 and 16. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that you should receive him forever, not as a servant, but above a servant. A brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Philemon, perhaps this is why all this happened. Philemon, perhaps God was working in all of this. Philemon, perhaps God had his hand in all this, how he brought all this together, how your runaway slave all the way from there ends up up here with me and he comes to the Lord and, he, and, and I, you also happen to be uh, one of my own converts and, and perhaps the hand of God is in all this. Yeah, he caused you trouble for a season. For, for a while, uh, he ran away. For a while, you lost a slave here, but Philemon, you lost a slave just for a season. Perhaps you have now gained a brother forever that's what he's saying the hand of God is working and Philemon says he says Philemon perhaps God's purpose has been served actually in this this is God's plan perhaps so he says Philemon I want you to receive him really he's asking Philemon I want you to pardon him 
I want you to receive him not as a servant, but more than that. I want you to receive him as a brother in Christ. He's pleading with him. Philemon, will you do this? Release him as a slave and receive him as a brother beloved. Wow. And so Paul makes his final plea for Onesimus. This is true intercession. Verse 17. If thou wilt count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. See, this is true intercession. He says, since you count me as a partner, as a brother, I want you to receive Onesimus the same way that you would receive me. Philemon, if I walk through that door, the way that you would treat me, that's how I want you to treat Onesimus when he shows up. If you count me, if you count us being on the same team as brothers in Christ, when he shows up, you treat him just exactly the way that you would treat me. If you've got a, a guest room that you was going to put me in, you better take Onesimus and put him up in the guest room. If you think that I'm something, boy, you better treat Onesimus like he's something. Not only that, he says in verse 18, if he has wronged thee or owes thee aught, put that on my account. He says, Philemon, whatever he stole, whatever he did, whatever wrong that he committed against you, whatever Onesimus has done, it doesn't matter how big or how small it is. It doesn't matter. Put it on my account. Lay his charge on me. Don't hold it against my son, Onesimus. Hold it against me. I'll take it. You can charge my account for it. Don't you see the beautiful picture? This is imputation. This is what it's talking about. Jesus does the exact same thing with us. He says to God the Father, he said, if, if you count me as your beloved son, will you receive them the way that you receive me? Will you receive them? Will you account my righteousness to them? Will you impart my righteousness to them so that they can be accepted in the beloved? Will you receive them? Father, receive them the way that you receive me whatever they've done how big or how small whatever it is whatever offense that they've caused against you whatever pain they've caused you whatever hurt whatever it is it doesn't matter lord he says father lay it on my account i'll pay it i'll pay every last bit of it i'll take care of it i'll take care of it receive them as you would receive me i'll pay their debt reminded of the scripture in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is what he's talking about, imputation, how the, the guiltless stands in the place of the guilty and we are received and accepted in the beloved, in, in, the, in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, because Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. Our unrighteousness is laid on him, and he paid the debt in full at the cross of Calvary, no matter how big, no matter how small, it doesn't matter, Jesus says, lay it on my account. That substitution, look at verse 19. Paul says, I have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Paul generally had someone else write his letters. He dictated them. And I don't know if he did the whole letter of Philemon, but he says, see with my own hand, 
So you might imagine he was, that, that Philemon's reading it and they say Paul maybe had bad eyes. And as, he's, as Philemon's reading it, perhaps all of a sudden the writing gets really big. <laughs> and Paul says, see, I wrote it with my own hand. Can't you tell? Maybe in all caps. <laughs> maybe Philemon thought, are you yelling at me? All caps, really? And maybe Paul say, no, I, I can't see very well. So <laughs> you can see with my own hand, I, I've written this letter. He was writing out an IOU, whatever it costs, whatever it is. You just, I'm signing my name to a, a blank check, whatever it is, I'll pay it. I sign my own name to it. Jesus did the same thing for us. Whatever it is, whatever the cost, it doesn't matter. I've signed it with my own name in blood. Remember the scripture blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances. It was against us, which was contrary to us. He took them out of the way, nailing them to his cross. The bill, the debt that we owed, Christ Jesus nailed it to the cross, saying the debt is paid in full. It is finished. That's what we're talking about here. And then Paul says, by the way, the last part of verse 19 I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. <laughs> By the way, don't think, to, don't think I need to mention the fact that you owe me your very life, Philemon. <laughs> I led you to the Lord, but I won't bring that up. That's kind of what he's saying there. I don't need to mention it, but by the way, you know, you owe me your life. So then Paul comes to a presumptive close to the letter. You say, well, what's that? Well, look at verse 20 and 21. Yea, brother, let me have joy in thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Refresh my heart. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee knowing, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Don, when the salesman comes to the door and he's showing the knives and He's showing how wonderful they are. He doesn't say, so are you going to buy one of these? He says, how many of each color can I mark you down for? That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, Philemon, I know that you'll do everything I said and more. So we're, we're past the point of whether you're going to do it or not. I, I, I know that part's a given, and you're going to do more than that. That's what he's saying. And I believe that, that Philemon did exactly that. I believe that, that what Paul is describing and asking, I believe that he absolutely did exactly what uh, Paul was asking. I believe that he did every bit of it because there probably, there probably would have been another letter that followed up if he didn't that said, okay, now I am commanding you. <laughs> I don't know, but you know, I trust that he did all those things. And so he gives a, a closing note of accountability, and that is verses 22 through 24. But with all, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. He, he says, I'm, I'm planning to come visit you if I can. If I get out of here, get a place ready for me. You know, maybe in the meantime, Onesimus can stay in the place you make for me. That, that might be a good idea. <laughs> prepare a place for me. And then he says in verse 23, there salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, uh, in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, 
Philemon, uh, prepare a place for me. If the Lord will, I'm coming to see you. And by the way, uh, your pastor Epaphras says hi, and also Mark and Aristarchus and Luke, you know Dr. Luke, they all say hi, and they know you'll do the right thing too. And Demas. Yeah, he hadn't forsaken him yet. Thank you. He's saying all these guys, they, they, they understand what's going on, and they know you'll do the right thing too. It was, it was a closing of accountability, saying, Philemon, I, I know you'll do it. I didn't command you, but I know, I know you're going to do these things. Verse 25, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So I believe that Philemon did all those things. I believe he absolutely did. And you know, there's a, uh, an early church martyr by the name of Ignatius. And he says, in 110 AD, there was a bishop at the church of Ephesus, and his name was Onesimus. And probably the same Onesimus, he was a replacement of Timothy. He would have been about, if he was in his 20s at the time of this letter, he would have been about 70 years old in 110 AD. So it's very possible that our friend Onesimus turned out pretty good. What a power that is, a, just a, a simple note to a friend, appealing in brotherly love. What a difference that made, didn't it? Martin Luther once said, we are all Onesimus. <laughs> I think he said Onesimai, which that must be the plural form of that. Like fungus, fungi, Onesimus, Onesimai. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. But we are all Onesimus is what we really are. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, didn't he? He came and found us in this world. We were alienated from God. We had broken the laws of God. And so Jesus came for us, and in the same way as God will go and prepare the way before to make things ready, to make things right, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, just like a writing went over there to, uh, to Philemon. The Word, God sent His Word, the Word made flesh, and came and died on the cross to make things ready, so then when we needed to make things right, we could go to Calvary and make things right. And the same letter, the same word, the same man that made things ready to make things right is the one that intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. It's the same one that makes the defense for us at the hand of God. And he says, if you count me a friend, then accept them. If you count me as your beloved son, then count them also. Impute my righteousness to them. I paid their debt, whatever the cost was was I've settled it I paid it in full father I trust that you are satisfied with the work that has been done I trust that you are completely satisfied with the work that has been done so father I know that on my account not on their account but because of what I have done that you will receive them as sons beloved sons and daughters and so much more Hallelujah. Chris, you can go ahead and come up and bring a song tonight. For Christ's sake, the Father receives us. 
because his righteousness on the cross, paying our debt, is imputed to us. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And he's not a dead God, he's alive. Jesus is alive. Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Paul sent the letter which made the way that Onesimus could be made right. And the word became flesh and made the way so that we could come to God and be made right. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't this a beautiful story? I hope in some way that I've ministered this message to you in the same in the way that the Lord has impressed it on my heart this week, really I've been greatly blessed by learning this truth that we just heard tonight. And I hope that in some way that maybe that's been imparted to you as well. So as we're gonna stand and give a song tonight, I guess my question would be, is there anyone that maybe you can stand up for as Paul did? Is there anybody that you can stand up for, a brother, to be a, a reconciling force maybe in the lives of brothers and sisters? Is, is there any unfinished business, maybe an old, uh, an old wound that the Lord might deal with you about? Have you thrown in the towel somewhere? And maybe God may be saying it's time to go back where you threw it down at and pick it up. It's humbling to do, but maybe you gotta do that. That's what Paul made Onesimus do. You gotta go back where you threw your towel in at and pick it up. People do that in ministry, they get away. And God says, where you left, you gotta go back. That's where you start back. You don't start back somewhere else, you go back where you threw your towel and you pick it up. So I don't know in what area the Lord might minister to you, and I don't, I don't have to know, but between you and the Holy Spirit, ask the Lord to show you anything in your life that needs to be worked on. The Holy Spirit will do that. And if there's something, perhaps, that God is dealing with you about, let him work in your life. Because there was such a great blessing on the other side of that, what Onesimus was afraid of. Think of the great freedom, the great joy, and the life well lived after it was resolved. But oh, what a horrible thing it was to get there. But it wasn't as bad as he thought, because... The letter went before him. So God, if he deals with you, will make ready the way that you can make things right. Chris, go ahead and have a song. You can pray right there where you're at. Those that are online watching some other means, uh, you can pray right there in your home and allow God to speak to you. Take a few minutes and search your heart. I won't interrupt you while he's singing. You can search your own heart and let the Lord speak to you. Oh.